Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the Jazz Session is also available for free in iTunes and at thejazzsession.com, where you'll also find Amazon links to purchase the music you hear on the show and support the show at the same time. And you'll find a donate button if you'd like to give fifty or a hundred thousand dollars in support of uh, the Jazz Session, or if you'd like to give a million dollars, I promise I will never do another episode. So if that uh, if that's your goal uh, for uh, a cool mill, we can make a deal. If you're interested in becoming an underwriter of the Jazz Session, you can contact me via the contact page at thejazzsession.com. It's got email and phone and postal mail and uh, coordinates for your carrier pigeon and all those kinds of things. My guest today is saxophonist Jeff Bradfield. If you've been listening to the Jazz Session for a while, hi mom, uh, you might remember Ted Sirota being on the show talking about his album uh, with his band Rebel Souls called Seize the Time. And uh, Jeff is on that record, and he's got a record under his own name on Origin now called African Flowers, uh, which was inspired by a trip he took to uh, several places in Africa. And it begins with this tune, which um, I probably should have asked him how to pronounce, but I'm going to say is pronounced Butare. <laughs> My guest is composer, saxophonist, clarinetist, flautist Jeff Bradfield. He's got a wonderful new record on the Origin Records label called African Flowers. And it's my pleasure to have Jeff on the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Jason. I really, uh, really enjoy this record. It's one of those records that right from uh, the first couple of seconds, you know it's going to be good. And I thought maybe we'd start in the obvious place and talk a little bit about the, the story behind the album, which is uh, in many ways equally as interesting uh, as the music that came out of it. Can you talk about where you went uh, to create this music? Sure, I'd love to. Um, so, so the motivation for this record was a trip that I took to Africa with a friend of mine, Ryan Cohen, great piano player who's on the record, in fact and his quartet in 2008. Uh, we traveled to Rwanda, Uganda, Eastern Congo, 
uh, and Zimbabwe, as well as a few other stops and airports as part of uh, Lincoln Center's uh, Rhythm Road program. And so that's kind of a, a ambassadors through music idea, right? Exactly. Similar to what used to happen back in the day with a lot of the high-profile Ellington and Gillespie and those kind of things. Right, exactly. At one point, it was known better as the Jazz Ambassadors program. Um, and like as you mentioned, Gillespie did it, Ellington did it, uh, Louis Armstrong, I think, was the first, and, and also went to Africa. And did you uh, go over there with uh, a, a view toward coming back with material for an album? Yeah, I did, but I, I wasn't exactly sure what form it was going to take at that time. Um, when, I, when I knew that I was going, I, uh, I bought a Zoom recorder and studied up on African history for the regions I was going to and uh, listened to quite a lot of music to, to sort of get ready. And my idea was to just collect sights and sounds and impressions and, and whatnot there and come back and write something because it seemed like such a great opportunity to get some new material, to be inspired by new things, uh, that I didn't want to pass it up. I'd, I'd also, before I left, I'd written a grant uh, to Chamber Music America, which when I left, I didn't know that I had gotten. I didn't know until six months later. So I thought, well, I have the trip set aside, and perhaps I can get this other chunk of money to help fund the process, and it'll all eventually come together. And kind of miraculously, it all did come together. Had you done a lot of traveling abroad uh, before this trip? I had, but this was my first experience going somewhere like this. Um, I'd been to some of the places you might more normally go as a jazz musician, to, to Western Europe especially, and Canada, and, you know, place, places that have jazz clubs and some infrastructure of a, of a music scene where they, where they bring musicians over pretty frequently. But I, I had never been to... Africa, or uh, I mean, nowhere, nowhere near, or the Middle East, some of the other places that were bandied around when we were, uh, when they were trying to decide where to send us. I'd never been to any of those. How did it, uh, how did it match up, I guess, with your expectations of what you would find um, when you got there? And obviously, uh, this is a trap everybody falls into talking about Africa as if it were one homogenous thing, which it's obviously not. But uh, in any case, how did the places you went match up with your expectations? Well, I mean, that's a really good point, in fact. That the fact that they were not homogenous, um, I, I knew intellectually before I went there, certainly. But there's a difference between knowing that intellectually and experiencing on the ground. And uh, that was one of the radical differences. I didn't really know what to expect of Rwanda. My media experience in, of Rwanda is uh, of the genocide. You know, that's what we, I think, in America most associate Rwanda with. So one of the great surprises is getting there and, and finding how very friendly and soft-spoken and, uh, and kind and warm the people we met there were. Because, I mean, while I knew that there wasn't currently a conflict there, I had the impression that this was perhaps a very dangerous and unstable place from what I'd heard in the media here, and I, I didn't get that impression while I was there.
one of the pieces on the album, uh, The Children's Room, uh, is about uh, Rwanda. Can you talk a little bit about the specific experience that informs that piece? Uh, yes. So we had spent about a week in Rwanda, and towards the end of it, our, uh, our host from the embassy, uh, Charles, took us to the uh, Kigali Genocide Memorial, which is a very, very moving memorial. It's not uh, a work, just a work of art or a... I don't want to say just a work of art. That's not really what I mean. It's, it's, not, um, it's not a work of art or, or something like that. It's, it's a graveyard. So that's uh, quite a bit different than, say, the Vietnam Memorial. I mean, you are as you walk through the museum, before you go to the museum, you're going to the graves of thousands and thousands of men, women, and children who were killed. So the immediacy of that experience is really stunning. Um, and it's really impossible not to be moved. The most moving portion of it is the last room you go through as you walk through the museum, and that's the children's room, where there's a room with very large pictures of a few children, as well as small pictures of many, many more children. And next to the child, it might say, this was their favorite, their best friend, their favorite toy, their favorite game, what was their favorite food, and then uh, also on the same plane, would say how they died. So it had this this way of really personalizing uh, that that genocide 15 years ago. As a father yourself, did that give you a different lens to view oh, that experience? Through? Yeah, I mean, it was it was, it was crushing. I mean, it's, we, we we talked earlier. You're a parent as well, and I think there are things that after you have a child, you feel, or at least that I can say from my experience, that I feel in a way that I didn't feel before I had a child. There's an empathy that you feel for the parents who donated these photographs and, and wrote these things down, and every, everybody there, everybody in our group there, walked out of that in tears. The children's room uh, points, I think, to another thing about the album, which is that there are uh, places on African flowers where there is fairly direct, uh, explicit 
uh, African musical underpinnings, and then there are places where it's maybe more impressionistic, or uh, you know, the the experiences seen through the lens of a a person who's a jazz composer. Uh, and I, I wonder how you decided which things to approach in which way, um, and and really how you how you decided whether to use both of those methods at all when you were first planning out the music. Well, I I did want something that combined my impressions, a sort of travelogue of the place, uh, with some technical aspects uh, or roots in African music. So I wanted to try to accomplish both of those things, and yet to have them be interconnected, and then also to connect the different parts of the suite, so it was connecting the regions of the country that I I had seen. Um, So basically how I approached that is to take the four countries that I mentioned earlier, and to look at one or, or actually to look at many indigenous musics in each of those regions. And then for each region, I sort of picked one piece. So for Rwanda, I picked a, a praise song, a traditional Hutu praise song. And I, I used a melodic motif from that, and then I used the idea of this Rwandan rhythm that's in 5-4, which is you know actually fairly unusual among African rhythms, um, but it's a very distinctive Rwandan rhythm. So I used this this 5-4 Rwandan rhythm in two different forms, and then that praise song melodic motif to construct the first piece on the record, Butare. And then I would take a piece of the either accompaniment part or the melody of Butare, in in the case of Butare of the melody, and construct some piece of the next song. So Children's Room is built from Butare, which is built from the, uh, the Rwandan song, if that makes sense. So yeah. it gets a gets a generation or so removed. And I did that with each region. So the Ugandan piece comes from a uh, a Mar- Ugandan marimba piece. The the Zimbabwean piece is built from a, a theme from um, Bira music and so on and so forth. I noticed when I've been interviewing people who have uh, done records that use musics kind of outside their own uh, their own kind of growing up tradition experience. Um, a few musicians that I've spoken to in the last year or so have mentioned uh, wanting to avoid the trap of kind of cultural tourism, and I wonder whether that was anything that you felt you needed to confront or. Uh, anything that even entered the picture on this record? No, that definitely enters the picture uh, sort of in two ways. Well, maybe more than two, but one thing I can think of is that if I try to make a very authentically African record, it, I think, is inevitably going to fall flat. Because, as you said, that's not my experience growing up, and that's not really my musical experience. 
On the other hand, I don't want to carelessly borrow or steal from a culture without without doing so respectively, borrowing respectively, respectfully, I, I suppose. Um, so, so I tried to to write music that was within the realm of the music that I write. You know, really pretty firmly coming out of the jazz tradition, but that incorporated some African elements and that, um, in say, you know, the way uh, Bartok borrows a folk song thing or some a song theme or something like that, might might borrow from it and expand upon it, but wasn't literally that. Recently, uh, on a bus trip, I was listening quite a few times in a row to uh, Randy Weston's African cookbook record and then somewhere either in the liner notes or the, or the promo material that was sent with this record uh, his name came up and so I thought maybe you could talk a little bit about uh, Randy Weston and, and how his approach to this kind of project informed yours well yeah Randy Weston was tremendously influential uh, I've loved his music for, for quite a long time I think I, I saw him in Chicago I want to say in the the 90s sometime at the Jazz Showcase with his trio and got into his music at that point. Um, the things that excite me about about Randy Weston's music are that it definitely is coming out of a lot of the jazz that I really love, coming out of Ellington and Monk. Um, and he has this very lyrical approach that doesn't have a lot to do with, with blazing technique or uh, or with impressing the audience in a certain way. It's this really deep, soulful, lyrical approach that I like. And then on top of that, of course, he has this very deep feeling for rhythm and uh, for the African aspect of music and, and spent a lot of time researching that. Yeah, he's really the person who paved the way, I think, in jazz for a lot of that sort of sort of thing for all the sort of cross-cultural experiments that are going on now whether you're talking about Donnie Collette Donnie McCaslin and his interest in Afro-Peruvian music or you know what have you a lot of a lot of that was uh, predated by decades by Randy Weston and Mel Balliston who worked with him can you talk about uh, the great band that's on this record with you yeah I'd love to um, on this record I used two individuals that are on my previous record, uh, George Flutus on drums and Clark Summers on bass, who are one of my favorite combinations to play with. Uh, they both really have a great respect for the history of the music and this openness at the same time. You know, they have deep roots in all the branches. So that's one thing that I really like in Sidemen, somebody that if we were going to play something and really swing, it really feels great. You know, it feels great in that sense. We can play blues together. We can get into that depth of tradition. Um, but at the same time, there's nothing dogmatic about it. We can play something that's very modern, very contemporary, and be just at home in it. And each thing informs the other. So those two. Uh, then Ryan Cohen is playing piano, who I, uh, I went with his band to Africa. And, and Ryan and I have been working together since we were both 18 or 19. I play regularly in his band. And uh, let's see, Jeff Parker is playing guitar, and a lot of people know Jeff within the jazz world for his work with people like Brian Blade, uh, and Josh Redman, many others, and outside the jazz world for his work with Tortoise. Uh, he's really an amazing musician. Uh, the thing I love about Jeff is he's able to cross genres and to appear in many different settings without actually changing what he does very much, which I, I think is kind of a unique quality among musicians that do that kind of thing effectively. It's not necessarily about playing a bag or playing a different style, 
their personality is just so strong and so right that they're able to place it in different circumstances and still come out uh, sounding true both to the music and to themselves. And Jeff's just one of those people. Yeah, it's funny. I uh, I interviewed uh, Ted Sirota, in whose band Rebel Souls you also play in, right. and uh, I think he said possibly even in this exact same words the exact same thing about Jeff as a thing that he really appreciated that uh, you know he could he could play anywhere and it was always Jeff Parker that you were getting yeah. yeah 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 it's an amazing quality I mean it's one one I've been striving for myself rather than rather than changing what I'm doing seeing how I can play in some way that's still true to the way I play but appropriate to the situation I'm in without without making some radical change because certainly when I was younger the temptation was well this situation demands that you play like Gene Ammons so now I'll play like Gene Ammons and this situation demands that you play you know like George Coleman so I'm going to do that now and it could even be song to song it's a it's a very dangerous dangerous thing this idea of jumping from bag to bag and then uh, the one person I didn't I didn't mention earlier is Victor Garcia who I've met more recently uh, I think the only person on the record that I haven't known for a decade or more and Victor, I met through our mutual friend Greg Ward, a great alto saxophone player. Uh, he's in New York now, and we've we've worked together in a few different contexts. And he just brings a great spirit to both the trumpet and the percussion, and just to hanging out in the studio. He's a blast to be around. Yeah, he is. Uh, he is pretty equally burning at uh, at at both uh, the percussion and the trumpets. So. Yeah, yeah, he's a great writer too. Just a great all-around musician, and I mean, very young. I don't know if he's. 25 or 26 on that record. Talk a little bit about uh, some of the things you're involved with. You did that a little bit in the in the course of uh, talking about the band on this record. But I know you're uh, you're a busy guy who's in a lot of projects. Can you mention a few of them? Oh uh, yeah, some of the things I'm excited about that I'm doing right now. Uh, you mentioned Ted Sirota's band, Rebel Souls, uh, who I've worked with for years. And we have a regu- relatively new record out called Seize the Time on Name. I think it came out last year. Yeah, that's the one that uh, Ted and I talked about on oh, the show. Oh, okay, so. great, yeah. great. Um, and we're playing at the Jazz Fest this sun- this Sunday. In fact, by the time this comes out, of course, it'll be after this Sunday. But I've written a lot of music for Ted's band over the year and always enjoy that. Um, I mentioned Ryan Cohen's quartet earlier, and sometimes that's a quintet or a sextet. Uh, we have some stuff coming up with vibraphonist Joe Locke, who's on Ryan's new record. and So I'm very excited about that. Ryan's an excellent composer, has a, a real definite vision of what he wants to happen in his group, and has been one of the persons... One of the people I've really admired in that respect over the years, who's able to conceive of something he wants and write it out and command that it be played a certain way, and and to to really maintain that vision from beginning to end. Um, and then uh, one newer project that I'm very excited about right now is with uh, drummer Dana Hall, who I know you also interviewed. 
and I'm in a band with Dana called Spring that features another saxophone player, John Wojciechowski, great saxophone player, and Clark Summers, who's in my band. And uh, we play some music of Dana's, some music from everybody else in the group. It's a chordless context, so it's very open, influenced by uh, Ornette Coleman's group with Dewey Redman as much as by, um, say, the obvious Elvin Jones at the Lighthouse Records and things like that. So that's a lot of fun. Those are, those are probably the three things I'm most focused on right now. Am I right in remembering that uh, on the uh, Rebel Souls record, there was an African connection for you there, too, wasn't there? Didn't you arrange a Miriam McCabe? Right. So initially, when we went to do that record, not when we actually went to do it, but before when we were just talking about it, the idea that Ted had was for a couple different records, to make one record that was going to be original music by people in the band, and then to make another record that sort of carried along the theme of the band, of it being the music of rebellion. Um by which we're not necessarily talking about just crazy music, we're talking about music that has a political theme. So I was looking for pieces to arrange, and two of the things I did for that fit in under that theme. So I did Cayetano Veloso's song, The 13th of May. You know, he's in the Tropicalia movement in Brazil. And then uh, there's the Miriam McCabe song uh, that you mentioned, dedicated to Polo Mze. Where I, I sort of took her her melody and constructed a uh, an interlocking bass and uh, guitar thing to to mirror the kalimba sound. Uh, Jeff, you're also involved uh, in the world of education. Can you talk about that, please? I am. Yeah, I've taught at various schools over the years. Right now, um, and for the past several years, I've been at Columbia College in Chicago, which is. Um, I'm glad to say really really improved dramatically in the four or five years I've been there. They seem to keep on finding uh, more funding for the program, and the students get better every year. So I do enjoy I teach saxophone and, and uh, various other courses like that there. What kind of school is Columbia College? Well, Columbia College is really an art school. Um, well, it does have a... A critical studies department, you know, a more humanitarian humanities department. The focus has always been on the arts there. So they have an excellent film school, um, fine arts, dance, music, and so you, you get an interesting group of students. You know, you get the type of students I went to high school with. That high school was performing in visual arts in Houston. You know, a very very artsy group of kids that often have a very untraditional approach. I don't necessarily get the kids who are coming out of the big uh, jazz band programs, say, and who who come to, to college with like a certain jazz education vision of how things work and how you practice and all of that already. But I do get some very creative, very talented kids who are maybe going about things a slightly different way. So, so I enjoy that. And uh, you are part of, if, if I'm not mistaken, a, a husband-wife team on the faculty, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Wow, you did your research. Yes, my, <laughs> my wife's an art historian. And and she's also on the on the faculty there. And she has a job, so she definitely is outside the kind of car talk running joke for the last twenty five years of art historians. <laughs> right, not actually right. Working. No, she's an employed art historian. <laughs> they should start making that job about jazz musicians. <laughs> yeah, right. That's exactly <laughs> move on, right. move on to a uh, more fertile ground. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. 
Uh, becoming a, a father, which is not all that recent, you have a seven-year-old daughter now, but how, is, how has that uh, impacted either the way you look at your career as a musician or maybe your the kind of music that you write or the, the things that you value uh, in terms of your career? I think it has a, it's real hard to measure that impact because it's so pervasive and so global. It's, it really impacts everything I do from maybe having to sometimes make choices about uh, what gigs I take or how much of my time I commit elsewhere uh, because, you know, I mean, I chronically say yes. So sometimes now I've had to learn to say no to something that I perhaps don't really want to do anyway, but in the past would have certainly said yes to. Um, so that's one thing, just trying to, to manage my time that I, so that I have time to be with her as well as time for my career. Uh, it's very challenging because my, my wife is very active career too and is not only a teacher but is a is a writer and a researcher and uh, so we have an elaborate balancing act that goes on <laughs> very challenging but in terms of inspiration you know I've written I've written several tunes dedicated to her um, and she's learning violin now so it's fascinating to see her develop and how much more quickly she develops than I remember developing starting in sixth grade you know several years after she started must be those artistic genes. Yeah, well, maybe that, or maybe starting at five or six years, six years old, I think that makes a big difference. Yeah, that's probably uh, true. And having your dad, you know, complain about your intonation all the time. <laughs> so uh, this uh, show will uh, air toward uh, the end of September, and I know that uh, in October and November there's some chances uh, for folks uh, to see you performing music uh, from African Flowers. Can you talk about those? Uh, yeah, that's correct. In fact, the October shows are the ones that are confirmed right now. The uh, October 13th will be at the Jazz Showcase, and then October 17th will be at Hyde Park Jazz Society's Room 43, which is a great venue on the south side of Chicago. Um, Hyde Park Jazz Society's been running the Sunday series on and off for years whenever they can get a space, and they really bring out a very knowledgeable jazz audience and present the music uh, respectfully in a great room down there. Uh, so... I'm looking forward to both of those. And the Jazz Showcase, of course, is probably the most famous jazz club in the Midwest. Joe Siegel's kept that going for four decades, maybe more now. I didn't think about that. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's uh, through just force of will. That's <laughs> very impressive. Uh, so, yeah, I'm very excited about both of those. And then, then we'll be in Evanston. We, we had a date in November set, but it's been moved to December, so we're still working on confirming that date. There's a, a great arts venue out there called Space Society for the Preservation of Arts or something in Evanston. I have to think about that for a moment. And uh, I'm going to assume that if folks go to your website, which will be linked in the show notes for this episode, that uh, there'll be an events calendar there, and they can yes, find everything out where will you be are. up to date on the website, and I'll, I'll put a link to this on it too. In fact, fantastic. My guest is uh, saxophonist and composer Jeff Bradfield. He's got a great new album on Origin Records called African Flowers that I highly recommend. And uh, Jeff, I've really enjoyed talking to you about this album uh, and enjoyed listening to it. Thanks a lot for coming on the show. 
Thanks for having me on the show, Jason. It was a pleasure to talk to you. That's uh, some great new music from Jeff Bradfield and his album African Flowers, which is on Origin Records. I'm Jason Crane. This is the Jazz Session, presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. All About Jazz also offers a widget for the Jazz Session. I know, it sounds exciting. If you put this little widget on your website, I will mention you in my newsletter, which goes out uh, each Monday. And you can get the widget uh, by going to thejazzsession.com, and in the upper left corner, you'll see what it actually looks like. It's a box with a picture of uh, the current show's artist and a link to the show. And if you were to click on that link, it would take you to a page at All About Jazz. And up kind of in the upper right, you would see uh, the words, I believe, get the code. And click on that, and there's some code. And if you have like a WordPress blog, for example, or not even like a WordPress blog, but an actual WordPress blog, if you have one of those, uh, you already probably know about widgets, and it's very easy to just copy that code into a, a widget box, and boom, it'll pop up and be updated automatically, and you don't have to do anything except uh, be mentioned in my newsletter and uh, have the, the warm, fuzzy feeling that comes with supporting jazz in the world. What if I left out? I don't know, probably the Respect Sextet. They've got a great new record called Farcical Built for Six, and you'll find it at respectsextet.com. I mention them, of course, because they recorded the theme music for this program. Thanks also to Dave Vrabel, who designed the show's logo, and whose brother Jeff wrote the liner notes for the Respect album. You can find uh, Jeff's writing, humor writing, and music reviews at jeffvrabel.com. Thanks so much for being here. Please go out and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. <laughs>